Welcome to episode 16 of the In the Name of Service podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Barb Thompson. Here we broadcast stories of everyday men and women who've answered a call to serve in hopes of inspiring and catalyzing the rest of us to follow suit in our own way. Today's interview is with Derek Jump, prior Marine, veteran advocate, and entrepreneur. Derek shares with us about his struggles following a rich military career of 10 years and two deployments to Iraq, including the infamous Battle of Fallujah. The impetus for the battle began in March 2004, when four American private military contractors were ambushed and killed in Fallujah. U.S. Marine forces then launched Operation Vigilant Resolve to take the city back from insurgent. Although the operation ended in late April, the battle to keep Fallujah from being overtaken by insurgents lasted well into 2005. Derek's unit lost 19 of their brothers during that time, changing him forever and teaching him the preciousness of life. Derek goes on to courageously describe his struggles with depression and addiction following his military career, and how getting around other veterans and doing what he could to help others was a much-needed boost to his mental health. He highlights the importance of being fully transparent about your own story, and how, as difficult as that is, it can go a long way to positively impacting other people. Derek encourages us to find our why, admittedly easier said than done, so that when life gets difficult, it can help keep you moving forward. To connect with Derek or learn more about the 3-5 Marine and the Battle of Fallujah, please see the show notes. Thank you for listening. All right, Derek, welcome to the In the Name of Service podcast. Start us off by telling us a little bit about yourself, your history, your background, and what's brought you to this point in life. Uh, thanks for having me on, Barb. Um, I always like to ha- take this chance anytime I can, any platform I can get to share from my point of view anyway, to whatever audience it is, whether it's civilian, veteran, active duty, what I've done, what people I know have done and are doing now and struggles that we've gone through as veterans, especially those that have deployed um, to, you know, wherever it may be, Somalia, Iraq, Afghanistan, all those hot spots. So I joined the military in January 16th, 2002. And, uh, you know, I, you know, at the time you're like, oh, this is the hardest thing I've ever done. But oh yeah, you, know, you go through boot camp, you go through all your schooling. Go so went through, you know, school of infantry, went through field medical training school um, as a fleet marine force corpsman with third battalion, fifth marines, first marine division out of uh, Camp Pendleton, California. So, you know, you do all your training and then basically you're done with training and you know, they call you a baby doc or, you know, you're basically a boot is what we call you as a boot, which is you're nothing. (laughs) Thanks for all that hard work. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You're nothing. Welcome to the fleet. You're going to, you know, here's a mop and, or, you know, Here's a, here's a gun, but here's a mop too. So we always we always joke around because there's a meme that you can see somewhere where it's a you know a lance corporal or a, a private first class vacuuming a parking lot. You know those are what boots. Nice, uh, right? You know? But I pretty much right when I got to my unit, we call it three five is what I'll shorten it down to. Three battalion. Okay. Things. 
get three five. Um, and our motto is get some. So anytime one of us or with with fifth marines or three five any anytime at a bar or at a restaurant or anytime somebody hears three five you'll hear somebody yell out get some you know <laughs> you might not even know the guy they'll just yell out get some so um so i feel so much better prepared now <laughs> <laughs> so right after training uh, i mean i checked into my command and uh they're like all right well we're training up so six months later i was on a plane with my unit uh to iraq and everybody thinks it's you know i, I don't know what they think if we're in a like a c-130 military plane all the time heading over and parachuting out of uh, out of the plane onto the battlefield that, that's not the case right. most, in most cases, um, you know, we took Delta airlines and, you know, we, we all had our weapons with us and took that, I don't know if it was a 14 or 18 hour trip for my first tour in Iraq. Um, so like I said, six months later, we're in Iraq and, you know, things started from there and we can kind of get into some of that later on if you'd like, but overall I did, uh, 10 years of service, um, mostly with the Marine Corps. Um, a couple of years of it was overseas um, in Europe, um, but most of it was at Camp Pendleton or in Iraq or, you know, other other uh, hot spots around the globe. Um, so did that for, for 10 years and it flew by and I miss it all the time. You know, I tell my wife that I want to go to contracting and take on like security detail. Um, and she's like, dude, you're 40. <laughs> you're not you're not 25 years old yeah kicking, you, can't, you can't run around kicking down doors and shooting at people anymore you know here's an xbox controller so um, so yeah so in a nutshell um that's it you know got out of the military i don't know if you want me to go into that right now but um got out of the military in 2012 and have been kind of doing the doing the military service as much as I can, um, being embedded with military individuals and like-minded individuals uh, as much as possible. Yeah. What initially led you to join the military? 9-11. Uh, really? Yeah. You know, my my a lot of my older, uh, like my uncles and my grandfathers, my father didn't serve. He was a police officer, but... Uh, one of my uncles, my uncle Phil, um, he was in Korea and he'd been blown up and he, you know, he was just mentally and physically, he was just a wreck um, ever since I knew him, since I was a little kid. And he even told me before I, I, I shipped off, before I shipped off for boot camp. And he was like, he was like, if you don't join the military, I'll pay for your college. You know, no matter Wow. He said, if you don't join, he didn't want me to join. Yeah. Um, it, but in my mind, especially back then, you know, being a small town, Oklahoma boy, in my mind, it was, you know, that old school thought of, you know, this is my country. It's calling for people to to serve. And I'm a young, able-bodied American, and I'm going to go do that in whatever capacity, you know, that, that is, whatever capacity the military would need me in. I'm going to sign that dotted line that says, you know, I'll do whatever whatever you tell me to, to defend my country. Yeah. I'm lucky I did because it's the most, in my eyes, uh, the most honorable and best experience that I've ever, that I could ever experience. And I would never, 
never change it. Yeah. You've had quite a long time to reflect by now on your 10 years in, in service. When you do that, what stands out as being most meaningful for you? That's a that's a big question, but the most meaningful, I would say, um, you know, over over ten years, that's that's quite a long time, and a lot of duty stations, and a lot of people that you meet, and a lot of situations that you get put in. But going to going to war, I'd probably say, obvious, it was the most exhilarating, most terrifying time so at the same time it was fun but at the same time it was scary yeah mm-hmm. and anybody that really tells you that they weren't scared at some point over there they're, they're just trying to be macho and, and <laughs> for sure because fear keeps you alive and fear keeps you alert sure um, so the biggest thing that would stand out for me um and that and made that made it just a huge indelible mark on my life and my mental health was those two tours I did in Iraq, more so the second tour. Uh, mm-hmm. The first tour was almost a year long, which is kind of unheard of when you start talking about Navy and Marine Corps deployments, usually mm-hmm. about six months to seven months. But the first one was the invasion of Iraq back in March of 2003. Yeah. Um, and we really didn't know what we were doing. Right. <laughs> the government, you know, really didn't. It was all new, yeah. Yeah, it was, I mean, it hadn't happened in so long. So that was, that was a little bit longer. Um, and it was more, we lost five guys over there, you know, and I'm not saying five guys isn't a lot, but it is when you compare, you know, how many that you can lose and how many we lost our second trip. So we lost five, five guys KIA um, in our first um, trip to Iraq. And our second trip, like I said, kind of made the biggest mark on me. Um, and that was uh, the Battle of Fallujah. So if you look up, if you look up anywhere, you know, right. one of the things I'm, I'm proud of and, and mm-hmm. have the have the honor of being in the history books for is mm-hmm. part of 5th Marine Regiment, um, which is the most decorated regiment in all the Marine Corps. You know, you'll hear or read about three, five or fifth Marines being the tip of the spear and involved in the biggest fight in in our modern day war at least in iraq and so i always tell people during that time is when i was molded from a boy into a man mm-hmm. I, I think any time prior to that i was just a, a you know a kid mm-hmm. you know not taking responsibility for anything not really having to but right. when, you go, when we you go into a place that like fallujah where you know you don't know you don't know who you know, the civilians and the terrorists and the Mujahideen and you don't you don't know who is the terrorist. You know, you could have women and children that are carrying bombs or AK-47s or any kind of weapon, that, you know, that they'll shoot at you that they have hidden. You know, so you, it's it's hard to discern between who's your enemy and who's your friend. And then there's that, that line you have to walk with. Now everyone's on camera. Everyone, you know, is going to know what you're doing in the military service you know anybody can be charged with war war crimes and so if you accidentally shoot up a mosque or a school um because you're getting fire uh from that sector you could get in trouble for that or you couldn't get in trouble for that because you know it's kind of it's kind of uh it 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 took a lot of tactical thought Mm -hmm. maneuver on our part Mm-hmm. But I came back. I came back um, as as a man, having having established bonds with men 
all around you that are willing to die for you and you're willing to die for them. And, and I don't mean that in any other term other than literal. Literal, yeah. You know, I mean, we all were willing to die for one another. None of us took it as a, a political situation. None of us even thought about anything like that. It was just, I'm here with my weapon, with my brothers, and, you know, we're in this together. And, you know, you, you walk away for the rest of your life, I think, because, you know, I, to this day, you know, I still have those bro- those brothers and I can still reach out to those individuals, those that haven't committed suicide and still talk to, you know, all their families and you become family. So that'd probably be the biggest thing that made a mark on my life mm-hmm. was going through that situation and, you know, learning the, the that life is truly, truly precious and a gift. Mm. Yes. Um, you know, and taking care of, of one another and taking care of who needs to be taken care of. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of taught me a lot. What do you think was most difficult for you? I would say that most difficult, it wouldn't be any action or any kind of things that you see over over in areas like that. Mm-hmm. Because that just comes becomes second nature. You know, death becomes second nature. Injuries become second nature. You know, there be times where we're going through the streets and, you know, you got burning bodies and you got dead kids and, you know, all that stuff is, that's just the norm. So you, you acclimate to whatever, whatever is your situation. I'd say the hardest part, um, when I got, when I got, when I left the military, yeah, the hardest part. Yeah. When I left the military. That was, that was the most difficult thing for me. Um, Can you describe why? Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, when you're in the military, you're, you're basically told, you know, what your mission is, what your objective is. You have that support system, whether it be your platoon fire, you know, your squad, your, you know, your company, their family members, you know, you, you have all of that. You have those shared experiences together. When you come home, when you come home, you're around, you know, and it's not to say that civilians are, are bad. Civilians just don't know, you know, what we go through, you know, like I think we were speaking about earlier, you know, there, there are some seriously strong, adamant, ardent patriots back home here in America while we're out there fighting. But, you know, civilians just don't know what we went through. And so it's hard to come home, especially if you join the military when you're, say, 18, 19. Mm -hmm, Your whole adolescent to mid-young, you know, adult life in the military. And some guys spend 20 to 30 years in the military from since they were 18 or 20 years old. So they don't know anything about how to operate outside of the military. And I have, you know, I used to thought think that I was hot um, you know, having served two tours in Iraq. Well, I have yeah. friends now that have served, you know, eight tours in Afghanistan and three oh, wow. tours in Iraq, you know? Right. And so when you get home, you've already had the most exhilarating time of your life. You've already done and seen things that no one else or the majority of other humans on, on this earth uh, have seen and done. Um, So there's really nothing to match it for one. Your mental health really hasn't even come into play 
up until the point where you are getting out or after you deployed is when I think it starts. And then once you finally get out, you lose a lot of that support system. You lose a lot of the camaraderie and brotherhood because everyone's scattered to the winds at that point. You know, a lot of guys just come home to their hometown. You know, I was stationed in California and Europe and other places. And then I came back to Oklahoma. Well, I, you know, I don't know. After 10 years, I don't know anybody in Oklahoma. I mm-hmm. don't know any combat veterans. Right. Served with. Um, right. You know, they're, they're all still in camp, you know, California or wherever. And your mental health just starts on you. Mm-hmm. Health, you know, and then, you know, forget about just your mental health you know there's i always call it kind of a a tribal effect of of a perfect storm you know it's you know if you let your mental health tackle you especially with where you're closed off and your support system is minimal or minimized Mm -hmm. you know and you do start self-describe self-prescribing whether that be medication that the va is giving you medication that you're getting on the streets or you know drugs that you're getting on the streets alcohol and and not to mention you know closing yourself off and you could i think a lot of us close ourselves off just because you don't understand you know that's Mm -hmm. probably sure you don't understand and right who do i talk to that does understand you know just close yourself off and it's just you Right. There's, there's there's a meme I saw on Facebook a long time ago, and it was of a warfighter. Um, I don't. I'm not just going to say soldier, marine, sailor. Or, you know, mm-hmm. it's just there's this warfighter, and he's dressed in his fatigue, or he's dressed in a t-shirt and some jeans, and he's got you know bullets and a gun and a bottle of Jack and pills all over the place, and he's by himself. But then around him, you see like five or six you know, war fighters that are dressed up with their weapons and their helmets and their fatigues and their war gear, their battle rattle. And they're kind of silhouettes like ghosts. And at the bottom it says, you know, no soldier or no, no war fighter drinks alone. Mm-hmm. Because what we're doing is, or what I did, I'll, I'll speak for myself. What I did was I would keep the memory of my lost brothers with me because I felt guilty one, that they were gone and that I wasn't. Mm-hmm. Two, and that sounds silly, but, um, and, and two, I felt like if I forgot about them, that they would have died in vain, you know? So I just latched on to their memory and used that as justification to self-medicate, you know, with, with alcohol, among other things. Mm-hmm. And I would always, I would always think about them there's not a day that goes by even to this day that i don't think about that i don't think about war in some fashion or another whether it's somebody that i've lost um somebody that i've zipped up in a body bag um you know you know um firefights that we've been in so yeah so the follow-on of military service for me anyway because i was put in those situations impacted me very negatively as far as mental health went and and i didn't want to seek help i just kind of closed myself off to the rest of the world for you know five six years yeah and and hated my life and really that's not a really good recipe when you have a child and a, and a wife to take. right how in the world did you turn it around 
so you know i did the i did what they told us to do you know i followed the rules i went to the military um followed the rules in the military got an honorable discharge you know then they were saying all right, all right son you know go off to college we got the gi bill for you so i went to college got my uh, my bachelor's degree got i went to graduate school and during that time had a, a fellow warfighter offered me a job he was a pro- uh, program manager of a homeless a homeless services network and he hired me on as a case manager working with homeless veterans at this point i was still you know i was drinking like a fish and, yeah but i was surrounded i surrounded myself with veterans so not only mm-hmm. were were my my caseload veterans but most of the staff was veterans so one that's that started that opened the door for okay i'm around i'm around people that have been yeah they may understand yeah 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 and speaking to you know the case management load that i had the very first the very first client i had his name i can't i'm not gonna say his name but uh he walked in and he's probably like this 60 year old grumpy old (laughs) and he's just this little guy I mean, he's seriously like five, five, you know, just a little guy. And he, he's been through it. You can just look at him. Yeah. He's been, he's been on the streets for five years. You know, everyone's let him down and, you know, he walks in and, and this is my very first time ever doing this. Never, you know, been a case manager before. <laughs> Hadn't really dealt with a professional lifestyle outside of the military. Cause this was my first you know, yeah. up quotation. Right. Um, and he walks in and he's like, what the F do you want? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm like, here to help. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is what came to my mind and you might laugh at it. So um, he's like, what the F do you want? And I was like, well, Mr. So-and-so, you know, I was like, I'm, I'm Derek Jump and I'm here to make your life better. And he goes, how the F are you going to do that? And I was like, you know, and I, I didn't have an answer. So I was like, yeah. you know, I was like, I don't know, but we're going to figure it out together. There you go. So, and so I did, I did that homeless veteran job, which kind of breached out into outreach, community outreach liaison position that I had establishing homeless task forces around central Oklahoma at the time. So that was one working with a lot of veterans, mostly Vietnam veterans, mm-hmm. but just making sure they were housed, making sure that they had what they needed. Um, I always called it four walls and a, and a roof and then de- dealing with the, the community, which started me off down a further path. But so that was a little bit of an uptick in my mental health being around um, other veterans. Mm-hmm. And then I started volunteering for an organization here in central Oklahoma. It was, I would probably say at the time, it was, you know, the best, the best nonprofit veteran organization in Oklahoma as far as what it had to offer other veterans. Um, great brotherhood, great, you know, it was, it was sort of, sort of, I call it a party, but it was a party with a kicker of, you know, camaraderie and mental health encouragement. Yeah. Yeah. So I started off as just a volunteer for that nonprofit. Um, And then that evolved into an internship that I had to take on for my graduate degree. So I did that as far as an internship. And it's funny because when I walked into the doors, the then director said, okay, well, how much, you know, experience do you have with public speaking? And I was like, 
I used to yell at a bunch of people in the military. Right. (laughs) I can speak in front of, you know, thousands of people. He's like, all right, perfect. He's like, uh, and this is in Oklahoma, we're in Oklahoma, right? And he, he, so he's like, I need you to go to Utah this weekend and go speak at a motorcycle rally for all the people that have donated money to us for our remembering the 22 campaign for veteran suicide. And I'm like, okay, so that's my first assignment is to do something I have no idea about, <laughs> like the complete mission of the nonprofit. So I ended up going out there and getting cameras thrown in my face and kind of just, you know, fed to the wolves. But it was for the better because, you know, anything, any situation you get put in, whether you fail or succeed, you learn something. Most yeah. Of the time when you fail, you learn. For sure. You learn a little more. Yeah. <laughs> you learn a lot more. I'm not going to do this. Again. Okay. And so uh, at the time, they didn't have the funding as a nonprofit to hire me um, as an employee. So I continued to work with homeless veterans, but still building on that military relationship or that veteran and military because they worked with active duty too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but building on as far as you know numbers and quality of numbers of individuals and and communities and networks that lent itself to my mentality and my mindset of military service whether they be patriots as civilians or they be you know military service members or veterans eventually they did go ahead and hire me on as an employee and i worked for that um, organization for about six years up until recently as far as my mental health went as far as that goes you know it was really low i was i was still abusing alcohol really bad and which was affecting my home life which was affecting my my work life yeah was affecting what my job was supposed to be you know which was development of programming and development of business and and being a mentor to other military members and, I, and we spoke about this earlier. I was able to, and and most people aren't aren't lucky enough to get this. And this is what I push on so many younger veterans that are getting out of the military or have been out, and tell me, you know, I'm going through a hard time right now mentally. I'm thinking about suicide, or you have you have those brothers and sisters that have committed suicide, right? Um, that you wish that you could have gotten to sooner. Find a mentor. Mm-hmm. I can't express. Those of you out there listening, find a mentor, find who fits your mold best, you know, whether whether it's a businessman or, you know, someone that was in whatever. It doesn't have to be a leadership position when we're Brian. in the military. Find a mentor or someone that you can confide in and let them lead the pack or let them help you because they've been there, too. Eventually, they were I mean, they were you back in the day. And they they and they had a mentor, and they found their way. So I was lucky enough to find a mentor where my position was really limitless. I could I was offered I, I was given the platform to speak to se- you know several thousands of people over the six years that I was there, whether it was in Oklahoma or other states. You know, traveling around talking about prevention of veteran suicide, talking about my story, talking about my mental health and and how it almost took me down a couple times, you know, you know, through suicide attempts. If I didn't have my mentor there to tell me that 
I am here for one reason, one reason only, and that is to touch, even if it's one veteran that's sitting there thinking about, you know, I'm so tired of this. The only way that I can handle it is to go ahead and take myself out because I'm a burden to those around me. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm drinking so much that, you know, it's, it's hurting my wife and kids or my husband and kids. Cause a lot of, a lot of people don't think that there's several different faucets to why, why people commit suicide. You know, you take a guy that, you know, got his, his arms blown off, um, you know, in some capacity over, over in, a, in some type of environment. Um, and now he has to come home and rely on his wife to take care of him, you know, hygienically and, you know, going to the bathroom and feeding him and being fed. Tell me that wouldn't have a, ne a huge negative mark on your mental health. So you got to think there's def there's different factors that lead to this mentality. So the mentor that I had basically told me, if you don't find an outlet and you're not genuine and full upfront with people about your story, you're not going to touch those veterans that are going through that. You're not going to touch those veterans. They're not going to listen to you. They're not going to open their hearts and their minds and relate to you if you don't decide to go ahead and tell your story. And if you're not going to tell your story and tell it right and tell it uh, to the effect of the, the utmost truth and sadness and depression and, you know, even down to the alcohol abuse that you were medicating yourself with, then get off the stage because we'll find someone else that will, you know, because the reason that we're here is to educate our brothers and sisters and civilians on how to deal with us and how to deal with one another. So find a mentor and listen to what they have to say, because that's what I ended up doing was I accepted his advice. I decided that I would open myself up and I would make myself available at two o'clock in the morning and go bail a brother out of jail or, you know, go do whatever the issue is. You know, if, if a guy just needed you to come, you know, sit with him for an hour or two and, uh, you know, talk it through or talk him down. There was a time where I had a guy call me up. I was at work and he said, hey, I have a gun and I'm going to kill myself. He said, I have a two year old daughter here at home. I'm going to kill her and then I'm going to kill myself. And I could tell he was he was drunk or high. Um, and I said, OK, I said, I said, let's do this, man. I said, can you just give me the opportunity to talk to you? One, I want you not to do that. OK, you know, just just can we give me your address? And so I went over to his house. <clears throat> I went over to his house. His daughter's crawled up in the, in the corner crying. And I just looked at him. He had a gun on him. And I just looked at him and I just I said, I said his name and I said, so you just, you know, hand me that, hand me that gun, man. I was like, you're making me a little nervous or just put it down, whatever you feel comfortable with. And he just, he put it down and he just lunged towards me and gave me a huge hug. And oh, we, wow. We, we hugged for, I don't, it felt like forever. A man hug yeah. feels like forever, <laughs> yeah. especially if it's, you know, a stranger, but you know that that that's what that person needs at that moment. And he's crying and I, you know, I got a couple of tears welling up, you know, and I'm just asking him, you know, will you let me take you somewhere where, you know, we can get you thinking right. And yeah. that, that was able to happen. You know, social services came in for his daughter and 
but that was that was able to happen and i wouldn't have been able to do that stuff had i not tackled my demons head on right right yes and and that took that took a lot more than just thought and just being around others um that took a lot more to to tackle those demons and still tackling them today yes yeah what do you think was the scariest thing about tackling your own demons because obviously like you're seeing all these veterans you're seeing that you know alcohol or self-medication in some form is a big problem for them it leads to many other problems in life yet here you're holding on to your own right right you know it's funny it's funny you ask that because you, at one point and i say at one point but at one point throughout the years um i would feel like a like a poser you know i'm sitting here and i'm drinking myself to death and uh I, i'm i'm dealing with all my ghosts um but then at the same time every day i have veterans coming into my office or I'm meeting them somewhere or we're doing events and I'm supposed to be the one they can come to and, and be mentored by, or, you know, I'm supposed to be the stable one. And it, you know, I was, it was easy for me to pretend that I, that I was. And I probably say the scariest thing initially one, I, I realized there was a problem, right? And that wasn't too scary. I knew there was a problem. Yeah. The scariest thing for me at first was letting go or realizing that it's okay to let go of some of those, some of that baggage. In the military, mm. we call it dropping your pack. Mm-hmm. You know, um, when you drop your pack, you do unload a lot of that weight that you have on your shoulders. And in my mind, like I touched on earlier, I had all those, all those guys, you know, in Fallujah, we lost 19, you know, we had 19 killed in action mm-hmm. and over 300 wounded, you know, they had to get sent back home. You know, I mean, that the enemy, we, in the beginning stages, kind of underestimated those guys. So, you know, you had all, all my all my guys that, you know, I went to boot camp with or I went to school of infantry with or, or whatever, you know, a lot of those guys didn't make it um, or a lot of those guys were maimed for life. And in my eyes, you know, if I didn't honor them and in my mind, my crazy mind, it was honoring them by getting drunk every night and remembering them and looking at pictures of them or videos and making sure that I thought about them every day, several times a day. I told you earlier, there's not a day, yeah, right. a day where I don't think about, you know, putting a brother in a body bag or, you know, working on, you know, working on a guy to keep him alive and eventually, you know, not living him, not living letting go a little bit at least the part that was negatively impacting me real realizing that those guys if they had seen me in the state that i was in you know not taking care of my family not raising my son the way he needs to be raised not treating my wife the way she needed to be treated not treating myself the way that i needed to be treated and ostracizing myself from the community I, I realized that if those guys that I loved so much and I miss so much, if they saw me acting that way, they would kick my ass. Right. Yeah. They, they would be like, dude, I'm done. I'm dead. You know, and this is how you honor my memory. You know, this isn't, you're not living for me. And so I decided, you know, to not be scared of that and to make that an objective in my life 
was to live for those brothers that didn't make it. I live for them. I wake up in the morning and I make my bed and I'm like, it's going to be a great freaking day. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to try and make a difference today. Yeah. Sometimes some days I don't, some days I do, some days I don't know if I do, you know, Yeah. <laughs> it's just like everything else, you know, right. As you go out into the world and you're like, all right, world, I'm going to kick your ass today, you know? Um, and then the world kicks your ass and you're like, all right, well, I'll be back tomorrow. That's right. <laughs> that was the first objective to not being scared and ta- just taking a day by day with that. Unfortunately, you know, the, the drinking and self-medication, um, was another was a lot bigger of an issue yeah to adjust to i did submit to mental health the mental health department whether it was going to the va and getting mental health help or if it was an outside entity going to get their help i did and i have been going religiously to pursue a better state of mental health with professionals that know what they're doing Mm -hmm. and one of the ones that i do every single week um, I don't, but weekly I do go to a uh, mental health and substance treatment abuse doctor and, or psychiatrist and, and try and get, the, and get that help that way. I did, you know, I've been to rehab and the rehab that I went to, I, I, th- I don't know what they did to us. It was a pretty unconventional rehab. I came back and I've been sober for about a year and a half now. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. But it made me realize now that my head is more clear, mm-hmm. what my mission in life is, right. is, to, is to serve others. Yeah. And I don't mean to, I'm not a saint, you know, I don't know if what I do actually works, but I, I try, I'm trying to do it, you know, and I, th- I told you earlier, you know, I've tried to be a hard ass or, or was a hard ass for so long in the military and then got out and I was a confused idiot. And then once I started figuring things out and got a more a clear um, sense of what I should be doing in life and living for those of my friends that that didn't make it home. Now I speak to a lot of their families, you know, monthly or, you know, throughout the year, just so their families can have a piece of them. So we have one one guy that for the past I want to say past 14 years we've been going like there's 50 of us that go to his parents' house and wow. he was killed in action. We go to his yeah. and just have a party in his name. Um, and that's, and that's really fun. But, but now that I have a clear head and I'm sober, now I realize that I want to help others really genuinely help others and not just fake it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so giving up, giving up that lifestyle, the drinking and the feeling sorry for myself and escaping suicidal thoughts, um, which don't get me wrong. You know, you, you know, you listeners out there don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, there, there are days that I do have, I mean, I still have my demons. Right. Of but course. The, th- the thing is, you know, you have to find some way to live with them. As I said earlier, there's not a day that goes by. I don't think about war. But you have to learn to embrace those thoughts and you have to learn how to how to live with that impact that's been made on your life. And mm-hmm. you have to, in my opinion, you have to just basically bring that into the fold and live for not just those men and women that gave it all, that left it all out there, but their families, too. 
you know, their husband, their wives, their moms, their dads, their brothers, their sisters, you know, live for them because their life has been completely changed for forever losing that loved one. But realize too, they would have done the same for you. Yeah. They died doing what they love to do. They died for our country and they died for you. So live for them. Yeah, it's interesting hearing you talk about the impact that your deployments made on you as far as leaving with just this extraordinary sense of the preciousness of life, but yet you were kind of wasting yours, clear-headed, not much of the time, you know, not regarding your own life as precious or the current lives around you as precious. And now it's like come full circle that you're, you can fully live out that lesson that you learned yeah it only took about a 12 years <laughs> hey you did it yeah <laughs> <laughs> what what either practically or philosophically has helped you stay on track you obviously inspire others by the way that you live so where do you believe that comes from like what keeps you going so you know to step off my high horse on on helping other veterans um, and, and military members, here's what I had to do. I had to, and, it, and it's so cliche because you hear it all the time, whether it's on Facebook or any kind of social media, but it's so true. You have to find your why. Yeah. And that why has to be strong enough to sustain you. Every yes. Day. Yes. And so I started late in life, you know, to find a woman that wanted, that wanted to procreate with me. <laughs> it took me into my late 30s but i um I, I found a great woman you know that that was willing to start a family with me and put up with all of the craziness that was my life post-military and we had a son and you know for me you know growing up my my father wasn't really around and so I wanted to do everything the opposite of what he did. You know, my father's passed on and I, and so I, I'm not trying to speak badly of him, but he just wasn't there. And so I said, you know, I'm going to be the dad that's there. And I don't know something in me. And if you're a parent, you know, you know what I'm talking about that, you know, there's something in you. Like when I think about my son, even to this day, he's six years old. And I'm 41. He's, I'm going to be dead by the time he's in college. <laughs> um, <laughs> but there's just something about it. Like it could bring a tear to my eye, just depending on what he's doing. Just look, mm -hmm. you know, and, and especially when he was younger and I was going through this and, and I was trying to get help, you know, my why became my son. Mm -hmm. and, you know, realizing now that I watch him and he does everything that I do, Yeah, you know, and he's getting older and it's like, Hey daddy, you know, why are you drinking? You know, why are you, what is this drink? You know, or why mm -hmm. are you doing this? Or why don't you spend time with me? probably the hardest one was, why don't you spend time with me? Never. Oh, wow. And it was because I was, I was always wanting to get drunk and cry myself to sleep. Mm -hmm. um, and so my why is my son and that's what keeps me on track every day. Yeah. Um, and it's it's hard to find your why. It really is in any in any aspect of life. I think, you know, I think I'm figuring it out in a in, on my professional side. The main thing is my family 
Yeah. Um, and, and he is the reason that I stay sober. He is the reason that I try and inspire others. He's the reason why I look at life in a totally different way as far as there's so much for it to offer. Yeah. Um, and, and he's the reason why I am protective over my household. So find your why. I know it sounds easier said than done, but find your why. And you might be able to hopefully turn that into a life-changing positive experience where you can step away from whatever is negatively impacting your life. Yeah. And yeah. improve your mental health. Right. All right. One last question for you. I appreciate the time that you've been willing to spend with me today. For the person who's listening, who feels like a nudge or an urge towards some, you know, service in some capacity, but they just don't really know where or how to get started. What would your advice be for them? You know, there, there are several, you know, wherever you live, whether it's, you know, uh, Conus or Oconus or outside of the continental United States or, or here in the States. There are so many non-governmental agencies and there are so many nonprofits. That's one way is to find one that you believe in their mission, mm-hmm. you've vetted who operates them, you have vetted their finances and you and you truly believe in their, their mission and who they serve. One way to get involved um, is to volunteer to get employed by those agencies, to donate to those agencies. A lot of us veterans don't like going to the VA, but there are, you know, you go to the VA and you you see veterans in need, veterans that need help, whether it's mentally or physically. You can be the change in that person's life. Mm. You know, there has been several times where being lucky enough to have the the platform that I was given where I've had people come up to me, I've had veterans come up to me and say, I was going to kill myself today and you changed that. Mm. Or I was going to kill myself today, but the person you introduced me to and brought mm-hmm. me to this, mm-hmm. uh, this, this venue or this place, that mm-hmm. person changed my life for the better. And right. I, feel, I feel a lot better about things. You know, So you may not think, like you said earlier, you may not think that you're making an impact, Mm-hmm. But really, seriously, man, just just a freaking smile, a hug, and a hello, bro, goes so far when you're right there on the edge. Uh, yeah, and, and yeah. I guess I'm speaking so much about veteran suicide because that's that was the mission that I was, you know, leading for so for so many years with the last mm-hmm. agency I was working for. But people are right there on the edge sometimes, and a lot of the times, all they want to hear is, "Don't do it." Right. I'll Just from one person. Help. Yeah. Right. Crying right. Out for help. Yeah. Crying out for help and, and no one's noticing it. No one's yeah. noticing the signs. Right. And you have to come out and you have to just straight up say, are you thinking about killing yourself? Right. That's a weird and that's kind of a crazy question to ask somebody. But, but it just takes all the power right away from it. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And all they need to hear is don't do it. Right. There's yeah. People out there that want you here. So yeah, uh, never underestimate the small no the small stuff. No, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so it's so true. Don't hesitate to go up to those old guys, right, and, and say thank you and right. really mean it, and really just let them talk to you. Thank the ones that came before us. Think about what others might be going through, and 
you know, just, just be, be cognizant of, of people that are really on the edge and, and, and ready to just exit this world. We all serve together. We all signed the dotted line, you know, so in one way or another, we are all brothers and sisters and let's just ma- just maintain the idea that we definitely are a family because mm-hmm. such a small percentage of Americans that do sign up for service and we are the ones that did it. We're the ones that put our, our youth, our innocence on the line. And speaking for myself, I wouldn't have done it any other way. Yeah. I love the fact that there's patriots like you that want to have, have me on and, and let me preach <laughs> to whoever um, I could just I could do it forever but but I'm, I'm really lucky that I get to speak to people like you and get to be around military um, and veterans um, on a daily basis yeah love that well I think I'll end it there but I just want to thank you for your time today and your honesty and your courage to tell your story and I know that it'll help people open up and tell their story too so thanks Derek yeah. Thanks, Barb.